Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen. Remain standing just a moment. I'd like to read from Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. And I believe God wants to fill someone with the Holy Ghost today. I feel like God wants to touch someone in a special way. If you have a need, you're in the right place at the right time. And I know you've been presenting a theme of the past, present, and future. And so I'm going to preach where we are right now. And I'm going to preach how we got to where we are and how we're going to get to where we're going. Amen. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. Deuteronomy 7 and 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I want to preach today the faithful God. The faithful God. You may be seated. There's no way this church could be here without the faithfulness of God. Certainly, you have to be here and to see what God is doing right now. You have to have a pastor with vision. You also have to have many faithful leaders and saints who are supportive, who work together as a team. It's not a solo effort. But most of all, there's no way a church can go through all the trials and tribulations and changes that we face in our generation and continue to thrive and grow and minister without the faithfulness of God. The bottom line is it's not about us, it's about God. We th we're thankful for a, a wonderful building. We're thankful for a wonderful pastor. We appreciate an organization such as the UPCI, but our faith is not in the building or the preacher or the organization. Our faith is an almighty God because he is the faithful God. All of us are fallible. All of us make mistakes. All of us sooner or later are going to disappoint you. But God will never disappoint you because he is the faithful God. Now, in the text, Deuteronomy, Israel is getting ready to enter into the promised land, the land that God prepared for them. And as they went into that land, they would encounter the culture where in that day, people worshiped many different gods. They had gods, goddesses, they had idols. The theory was each land had its own god or goddess. Um, that if you wanted your crops to grow, if you wanted your flocks and herds to multiply, you had to identify the God of that land, the goddess of fertility, and you needed to worship them. And so uh, there were gods like Baal and Chemosh and Ashtaroth and Dagon and Molech and so forth. God knew his people, would, as they came into the land, they would face the temptation to conform to the culture around them and worship these many gods and idols. And so he wanted to prepare them and warn them. In the preceding chapter, Deuteronomy 6.4, we have this classic statement, Hear, O Israel! The Lord our God is one Lord. And we still believe that today. There's only one true and living God. Praise God. And so now in the next chapter, God is identifying who he is. How do you know the true God in contrast to all the false gods? How will you know that Baal and Dagon and Molech are not true gods? So the Lord gives this revelation. He is the faithful God. 
And I'm here to preach today the faithful God. In this world, there may be God's many and Lord's many, but there's only one God who is true. There's only one God who is faithful, and you can know him because he and he alone is the faithful God. Now, what does it mean to be faithful? To be faithful means someone who's trustworthy, someone who keeps his word, dependable, loyal, steadfast, someone you can safely put your faith in and you won't be disappointed. The book of Proverbs talks about the unfaithful person. The unfaithful person is is like a person with a broken, it's like a broken tooth or uh, the Bible talks about uh, also a foot out of joint. So, so let's imagine that you're, you're sitting in the chair and you've got a sprained ankle or a broken foot. And, and maybe it doesn't really bother you because you're just sitting there relaxing. But when you stand up and put your weight on it, it fails. So if you have a broken tooth, maybe it's not a big deal. But when you bite down on the apple, you've got a problem. So the quality of unfaithful is this. When you don't need it, it's okay. It's just when you need it the most, it lets you down. So it's easy to have unfaithful friends. The unfaithful friend, that doesn't mean they'll never show up. No, the unfaithful friend will be there almost all the time. When you're throwing a party, the unfaithful friend will show up. When you're paying for lunch, the unfaithful friend will be there. The only time the unfaithful friend is not there is when you need help. All the other times, they're there. It's just when you need them the most, they will let you down. And that is the way with all the gods of this world. It's not that they never show up, so to speak. They're there most of the time. It's just when you need them, they're nowhere to be found. Now you're saying, Brother Bernard, you don't understand. Here in Terre Haute, we don't worship Baal. Well, okay, you may not worship Baal, but don't kid yourself. The people of Indiana have their gods. Because anything that prevents us from serving the true God, that in effect becomes our God. So if people are pursuing uh, material possessions, money, status, and they can't really be committed to God, and they won't want to participate in giving like you just heard today because they have other priorities, then money has become their God. If they can't be faithful to church because they're too busy pursuing pleasures, pleasures have become their God. If they're enjoying the life of sin and the things they want to do, so they don't really want to be committed to a disciplined life. They don't want to repent because uh, they want to participate in sin. Then those sins, in effect, have become their God. If they can't, won't be baptized in Jesus' name because of a church tradition or a heritage, well, that, in essence, has become more than just a heritage. It's become their God, their idol. So here's the problem. People have their gods or their pleasures, their philosophies, the things they depend on. And most of the time, they seem to be working. So if you're pursuing your own life and you don't have time for God, but you've got money in the bank, you've got a good job, you've got a retirement plan, you've got health insurance, you've got life insurance, you've got car insurance, you're set. So something comes up, you got money to pay for it. Problem comes up, you got insurance. Difficulty comes up, we got a doctor. So you got it covered. So it appears that your philosophy, your pursuit of pleasure, your pursuit of wealth is working out pretty good. It's, it's doing good. But the test of the God is not when everything's going well. The test of the God is when you need help. So what happens when your marriage is in trouble? Well, all the money in the world can't solve that problem. 
What happens when your kids is in trouble? It's on drugs or arrested. Well, all the insurance in the world can't really solve that. All the pleasures of life can't give you peace of mind at night. What happens when you get a terrible phone call uh, that changes your life? What happens when the doctor looks you in the eye and says you only have six months to live? You know, what happens when you lose your job and the economy crashes? What happens when everything goes wrong? Most of all, what happens at the moment of death itself? What you will find is all the gods of this world, all the pleasures of life, all the money, all the materialism, all the traditions, none of those things can give you peace of mind. None of those things can bring you through the trials of life and most of all none of those gods can bring you into eternal life i'm preaching in Terre Haute, indiana today there's only one god who's faithful in the good times and the bad times there's only one god who's faithful when you've got lots of money and when you don't have any money there's only one god who's faithful in sickness or in health there's only one god who can bring you through all the trials of this life and there's only one god who can bring you into eternal life He's known in the Old Testament as Jehovah, but he has been revealed in the flesh as the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the book of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the faithful God. Oh, let's praise him right now. Let's worship him right now. He's the faithful God. Hallelujah. The faithful God. The faithful God. Let me share a few ways in which our God is faithful. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, there's a well-known statement of Scripture. Hebrews 11, 6. Hebrews 11 is the great chapter of faith. And it says this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Now notice, you must believe that God is. You know, the only way we can be saved is by faith. The only way we can please God is by faith. The only way we can have God's blessings is by faith. You can't do it by your good works. You can't come to God bragging about how great you are and how you've lived a good moral life and therefore you deserve to be saved or you deserve a blessing. That doesn't work. The only thing you can brag about is that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again. Because that's the basis of your salvation. Everything we receive from start to finish is by grace through faith. We don't earn our way to heaven. You can't say, well, here's a hundred rules. If I live by these hundred rules, I get to go to heaven. You know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I dress modestly, I come to church, I pay tithes, therefore I deserve to go to heaven. Doesn't work that way. There are a lot of Muslims that live a very disciplined life. Doesn't mean they're going to heaven. We have to have a relationship with God, which comes by faith. Now, if we are living by faith, yes, it does change us from the inside out. It will change the way we think. It will change our relationships with people. It'll change the way we talk. It'll change the way we dress. It'll change what we choose for our amusements. Yes, it will change the whole life. We will pursue holiness. But it's going to be because of God's grace working from the inside out. And because we're in a relationship of faith. So that's why when you pray, 
You, you can't beg hard enough to receive the Holy Ghost. You can't pay enough in the offering to receive the Holy Ghost. You, you can't, God doesn't put you on probation if you live a good life for six months, then he gives you the Holy Ghost. No, he fills us with his spirit while we're sinners. When you come to the waters of baptism, the preacher doesn't take away your sins. The water doesn't take away your sins. You're not taking away your own sins, but Jesus Christ is washing away your sins, which is why we always say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because our faith is in him. If he doesn't do the work, nothing's going to happen because we're not saved by what we can do. We're saved by what God can do. So we must have faith, but here's the good news. Notice, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, you've got to believe that God will always reward the diligent seeker. So now, of course, God is the one who draws every one of us. I believe at some point in life, every human being has a witness, at least in creation and in conscience. At some point, God draws. So it's up to us to respond So the good news is this. If you respond to God, he will absolutely hear you. He will definitely respond. If you do have faith, you don't have to worry about it. He will be faithful to respond to you. He will be faithful to save you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter your family background. It doesn't matter your life of sin. It doesn't matter if you're living what they call an alternative lifestyle. If you're in an addiction or whatever case may be. It doesn't matter how other people might judge you or label you if you will respond to god's grace i promise you god will hear your cry god will save you god will deliver you he's no respecter of persons he's not prejudiced he's not biased he will treat every human being with love and kindness because he is the faithful god that's just the kind of god he is the faithful god in other words if you want to be saved you can be saved I don't care who you are. If you want your sins washed away, your sins can be washed away today. If you want to be filled with God's Spirit, you can receive God's Spirit today. How can I be so sure? Because he keeps his word. God is faithful to save. That's just the kind of God he is. And of course, if God's that way, then we need to be that way. So the church has to be open to people. Whether you're black, white, brown, whatever. You have to, the church has to welcome everyone. Well, what, what if people are living an openly sinful lifestyle? What are we going to do if people come to church and they're living an open life of fornication, homosexuality, you name it? What do we do with people like that? Well, I'll tell you what we do. Hello, my name is John. What's your name? Glad to have you at New Life today. That's what you do. God is faithful to save. God's people must be faithful to open their arms to everyone. What if they are sinners? Well, sick people need to go to the hospital. Sinners need to go to the church. The same God that changed us will change them. The same God that delivered us will deliver them. God is faithful to save. Praise God. Praise God. You know, I told you a little bit of our church. We have many testimonies, even as you have here today. But it's just amazing over the years. 
uh, we were in a major metropolitan area, and so at any given time, we had probably about 30 nationalities in our church, and of course, all races of people. We were about 50% white Anglo and 50% everything else, and Hispanic, African American, Native American, Asian, and uh, so we have testimonies of all walks of life. We want people who are homeless. We want people of every career or, or, or vocation you can imagine, plumbers, electricians, bankers, Lawyers, doctors, college professors, professional singers and musicians, uh, Austin Symphony Orchestra members, barbers, you know, just, just think of it. The church was full of all kind of testimonies. But I want to share one that's significant now. Now, if anybody's from New York City, don't get offended. But I'm going to tell you about a stereotypical New Yorker. Bold, brash, no nonsense, it's the way it is type person. So when we built our first building, you'll appreciate this, Brother Harpo, we're building a sanctuary to seat 300, and uh, I couldn't afford a contractor. So I had to serve as the contractor, even though I didn't know anything about it. So the key was I had to find good subcontractors who did know what they were doing, who would do a good job, but would charge a reasonable price. So I finally found a concrete guy. He had been a rock and roll concert promoter. He had fronted for... You two, and just, you know, he was big in that world, but he finally settled down in Austin, got married. His wife insisted he settled down. And so his family had been big in concrete in New York City. And uh, so he was a concrete man. So uh, we hired him. His name was Tony. And uh, our men started working alongside of him. And of course, naturally, they started telling him about the Lord. Well, Tony was interested in God. He was agnostic or, or maybe an atheist. He didn't know if there was a God and didn't care. He told me later he got mad at God for something. And so he just balled up his fist, shook it in the air and said, God, if you're up there, kill me. Well, God didn't kill him. So Tony figured, you know, if I was God, I would kill somebody like me. So there must not be a God. You know, if he doesn't answer prayer, he's not up there. So we tried to tell him about God. He, he, he didn't want to talk about it. Don't talk to me about God. Okay, four years later, we're building our new sanctuary to seat 600. We need a concrete guy. So we look for Tony. Now, Tony, he's a self-made millionaire, multimillionaire. You know, he had a beautiful house, cars, motorcycle, boat, airplane. He had it all. So we contact him again. We had a hard time finding him because his partner had uh, made some bad choices. They'd end up bankrupting the company. And by this time, Tony lost everything. Everything I just mentioned. He didn't even have a job. He and his wife were getting a divorce. He was hooked on alcohol and drugs. He couldn't sleep at night, so he was going to the doctor, taking pills, but he's only sleeping about an hour or two at night. So mentally, physically, emotionally, he was a wreck. And so, since he needed a job, we hired him as a foreman, and we put him to work. Well, again, our men were telling him about the Lord. And this time, he was a little more open. You see, God didn't believe, you know, Tony didn't believe in God. But God believed in Tony. God's not looking for ways to send people to hell. God's looking for ways to save people. And so some of our men said, now, Tony, if you want to be delivered from alcohol and drugs, you need God. If you want to be healed so you can sleep at night, you need God. If you want to get your wife back, you need God. If you want to launch a business and be successful and God to bless you, you, you need to see God. So I'm sitting in my office one day, and some of the men come from next door on the job site, and they said, Pastor... Tony's over here repenting of his sins. 
He wants to get baptized in Jesus' name. I said, well, why don't we just take a break from work? Let's baptize him in Jesus' name right now. So that was one of those Tuesday or Wednesday baptisms. So then they said, now, Tony, you need the Holy Ghost. And you need to come to church. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, we've got a, if you don't receive the Holy Ghost now, we've got a men's conference coming up at the campground. And everybody that goes to men's conference receives the Holy Ghost. So you have to go. So he signed up. He went. He went to every service. He went to the altar, prayed. He didn't get the Holy Ghost. Saturday noon, the last service he went up and got prayed for, he didn't receive the Holy Ghost. They were heading back to the hotel to check out. He says, I thought you told me I'd receive the Holy Ghost. They said, Tony, we haven't checked out yet. We're going back to the room and we're going to have a prayer meeting and we're not going to check out until you receive the Holy Ghost. So that Saturday afternoon, Tony received the Holy Ghost in the hotel room. Praise God. So his wife was Jehovah's Witness. She had had five stepfathers, so she had a disruptive family. But she got in the church. Their marriage was restored. What I'm saying is, I don't care who you are or what your background is, what you believe, what you don't believe, what your life of sin is. If you're ready to seek God, God's ready to answer you because God is faithful to save. The faithful God is here. Somebody can receive the Holy Ghost today. Somebody's friend or family member somebody's co-worker or neighbor you just need to bring them to church or teach them a bible studies god is going to do a miracle in their life because that's the kind of god he is he is faithful to save praise god let me share another verse first john chapter 1 verse 9 first john chapter 1 verse 9 says this if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins now notice something interesting it says if we this is not a letter written to unbelievers it's a letter written to the church now i know there's probably some new people here today i know some have not been here very long so i'm at the part of my message where i have to tell something very uncomfortable and probably the pastor would wish you didn't hear this but he said, I'm the bishop, so I'll just do it anyway. And if it troubles your faith, well, my wife and I are going to be heading back to St. Louis after church, so we will not be available to help you. But that's why you have a pastor. So you make an appointment, and he'll straighten everything out. He'll explain everything. But it is a shocking statement that I have to tell you. Here it is. Sometimes... Christians sin I know that's shock shocking and for a visitor I'm really sorry to tell you that if you keep coming you may find somebody might do something wrong sometime even in church it can happen here's the thing we're supposed to live a holy life if you keep reading here in first John chapter 2 verse 1 he says I write these things that you sin not So Christians are supposed to live a holy life. We can live a holy life. We have power. In fact, we can get up in the morning and say, Lord, I dedicate this day to you. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And you know what? God can give you strength that day. 
So whatever temptation you face, you can resist it. You can overcome it. Even if you have a habit or addiction, day by day, you can keep committing it to God. And all you have to do is live for God one day. And then you just keep doing that every day. And you're living a holy life. That's how you can do it. So I want to encourage you. This church is full of people who are seriously and sincerely seeking the holiness of God. But my point is, sometimes people fail. And in that time, the devil will like to beat you up and say, you're just a hypocrite. You're just a failure. You're not living for God. Just quit coming to church. Church is too strict anyway. And if you still come, the devil will still beat you up and say, you can't worship God. God won't hear your prayers. You can't teach a Bible study. You couldn't be a praise singer. You couldn't be a soul winner. You can't do anything because you're just a sinner. You're just a hypocrite. Now, here's the thing. If you are living in sin, you should feel guilty because the guilt motivates you to repent. But if you recognize you've done wrong, whether it's the sin of a moment or whether you've been drifting for a month or even if somebody just go, walks out on God and goes to an openly sinful lifestyle for many years, we call that backsliding. Whatever the case may be, when you realize what you've done and where you are, what you need to do is come back to God and repent and confess at that moment, you'll find God is faithful. He hears your cry. He's still there. He still loves you. He still cares. He will forgive you. And when he forgives you, do not accept condemnation any longer. Because the Lord has forgiven you. You say, I still feel bad. Well, did you confess your sins to God? Are you sincere? Do you really want to live for him? Do you want to keep living a sinful life? Or do you really want his help? If you're really asking his help, then you have this promise. God is faithful to forgive you. He'll keep his word. It doesn't matter how you feel at the moment. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what the devil says. God is faithful. He keeps his word. Just as God is faithful to save you in the beginning, God is faithful to restore. God is faithful to restore. That means anybody here can be saved. That means your friend can be saved. That means your family member who's walked out on God, they can be saved. Everybody can be saved because God is faithful to restore. Yes, there's hope for you. Yes, there's a future for you. Yes, there's a place for you in the church. Yes, there's a work for you to do in the kingdom of God. I don't care what your history is, even after you came to God. God is faithful to restore. Oh, let's praise the Lord right now. Praise God. He's faithful. The faithful God. I told you about Tony. I haven't shared anything that he hasn't shared publicly. But I told you Tony was on alcohol and drugs when he got in church. Well, you can be saved in one day. But learning to live a holy life takes time. That's why we have to be patient with people that come to God. They come from different backgrounds. Some may not have any concept of holiness or morality or dress or speech. And what we have to rely on is the power of the word, the power of the spirit, and the power of example of the believers. We don't berate them. We don't try to clean them up. We let the pastor and those who are designated teach them. But it's not our job to ridicule them, demean them, judge them, or even go up and talk to them about something when it's not our place to do so. Now we can answer questions about what God has done in our lives. We can show them scriptures about how God has taught us, but we've got to respect where people are coming from. 
because it's a process. So several men of our church met with Tony and they said, look, we are going to connect with you every single day. And if you're struggling with the temptation, you pick up the phone, call us, we'll pray for you over the phone, or if need be, we'll come to where you are anytime, day or night, and we'll pray with you until you overcome that temptation. So for about one year, they had this commitment because it takes time to learn how to live a new life. Well, during that time, Tony failed God. He messed up. He was so embarrassed, he refused to come to church. I called him. He wouldn't answer or return my calls. I emailed him. I even wrote him a letter inviting him to church. He wouldn't respond in any way. He was just embarrassed. And his wife kept coming to church. So one day, it was actually Easter Sunday, I thought, surely, I sent him a personal invitation. He didn't come. So I thought, I thought, surely he'd come for Easter Sunday, but he didn't. So I called his wife. I said, look, is he home? She said, yes. I said, I'm coming over. Don't tell him that I'm coming over this afternoon. I just want to make sure he's there. So I come over. I knock on the door. I invite myself in. I sit on the couch and I say, Tony, we need to have a talk. I said, you failed, but God didn't fail. You fell down, but God didn't fall down. God did a miracle of deliverance for you, but you're, if you're not careful, that deliverance is going to slip through your fingers and that miracle is going to be gone and you're going to be back right where you started from. I said, now the people in the church, nobody's judging you, condemning you. Nobody, when you show up, nobody's going to say, what's wrong with you? They're all going to say, hey man, it's great to see you. We love you. Glad you're here. So, so I need you to promise you're going to come tonight. I said, well, we're not even going to have a service. We're just going to have an Easter drama. Can you come to an Easter drama? He told me later, so, well, what could that hurt? You know, he came, you know the rest of the story. The power of God got a hold of him. He came to the altar. He was gloriously renewed in the Holy Ghost. That was 2001. I'm happy to tell you, Tony and his wife are still living for God today. They've started multiple businesses. They gave to the new sanctuary. They gave to Urshan College, Urshan Graduate School of Theology, which is now both accredited. They sponsored scholarships. God has blessed them more than ever before. He got a new airplane. Uh, he, he even got shares in a helicopter. I remember one time I was preaching for a little country church where one of the pa- ministers of our church was the pastor. I called up Tony and said, it's going to take me two and a half hours to drive there. Can you get me fa- there faster? He said, sure, let's go with the helicopter. So we... You know, we went in the helicopter 30 minutes. We landed next door to the church in a field. I got out and preached and got back in the helicopter and went back home. It's kind of nice. And Tony is an ordained minister of the United Pentecostal Church International. God is faithful to restore. Oh, praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. I got one more verse of scripture. Just one more. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I do have one more shocking statement. But, of course, your pastor's here. Uh, wh- what I do as general superintendent, I like to go around and preach for different churches, check out, see how they're doing, 
and, and I want to make sure the pastor's fully employed. You know, he's just not sitting around with nothing to do. So, you know, so if I can stir up a little business for him, that's good, right? He's got job security. So here's my shocking statement. Now, I know they, the people here don't really want, if you're new, they probably don't want you to hear this. They probably haven't told you this, but I'm going to tell you. Sometimes Christians have trials. Now, we talk to new people, we say, you know, it's the best thing ever. It's joy unspeakable, full of glory. It gets better and better. You know, God supplies all our needs. It's just amazing. It's wonderful. All that's true. But we usually don't say, and, you know, you're going to have some trials too. But you are. But when you have a trial, don't blame God. Don't get mad at God. It's not because you're a Christian. It's because you're human. You still live in a sinful world. You have not been glorified yet. You're not in heaven. In this world, you will have trials. Now, realize unsaved people have trials too, right? I mean, unsaved people get in car wrecks and go to the hospital and go through divorce and their, their loved ones die. I mean, this is just what it means to be human. God did not promise to block all the trials just because you're a Christian. But what he promised to do is screen the trials. So if you are going through a trial, that is proof that you can get out of the trial. Because God would never let you go through it if he did not have a plan for you to get out of it victoriously. God has a way of escape. You say, there's no way. I say, God will make a way where there is no way. Now, sometimes God delivers us instantly. And so we have a testimony. We have a miracle. Other times, God will allow us to go through the trial for a season. The great apostle Paul had a severe trial. He prayed three times for God to deliver him. God didn't deliver him. He had enough faith. He was in the will of God. But for reasons known only to God, this is in 2 Corinthians 12. But here's what God said. He didn't deliver him, but this is what he said. My grace is sufficient. So if you have to go through a trial, you have this promise. God will give you the grace to go through it. And then at the right time, God will deliver you out of it. Even if you die waiting, you get your answer when you wake up on the other side. You cannot lose. As a Christian, literally, if you live for God, you have his grace. If you die, you're in his presence. You cannot lose. God is faithful to sustain your during your trial. And God is faithful to deliver you out of your trial. God is faithful to sustain and deliver. You say, Brother Bernard, you don't know what I'm going through. You've never been through what I'm going through. You can't live in my skin. That's true. But I'm 64 years old. I have a few testimonies of my own. But I'm not just preaching my testimony. I'm preaching the word of God. It says he is faithful. You count on it. God will sustain you and God will deliver you because that's the kind of God he is. He is the faithful God. He will see you through. When you don't know what else to do, keep doing what you know to do. In time of trouble, don't run away from the church. Run to the church. Don't run away from the pastor. Run to the pastor. Don't run away from God. Run to God. When you don't know what else to do, keep believing. Keep praying. 
keep worshiping, keep coming to church, keep on keeping on. The answer is on the way. God will deliver. God will transform because he's the faithful God. He's faithful to sustain and deliver. Oh, hallelujah. There's a witness of the Holy Ghost here for somebody. Praise God. I'll conclude with this example. I travel across the world. Of course, COVID-19 kind of slowed me down, uh, especially for overseas travel. But we've been traveling everywhere, and God has protected us and blessed us. We try to take reasonable precautions. You know, we wear masks and do stuff like that. Because we're trying to be safe and we're trying to follow the rules and do whatever we can. You know, we wear seat belts, just stuff like that. But, but we trust God. So anyway, sometimes I've gone to some of these places where I can't even say where I'm going. Because I, several years ago, I went to a certain country, a large country where we have many, many thousands of believers. And I did a leadership training seminar for the whole country, about 100 leaders but we had to do it in secret we did it in a hotel took precautions so it was set up now i'll be vague deliberately but it set up what i would teach but if anybody approached the door that was unknown to the group there were two young women standing there that would play the tambourine and when they played the tambourine that was my signal to sit down try to be as inconspicuous as possible as the only white person in the whole room and you'll put my head down and read a book and they would start up a music training seminar with PowerPoints and keyboard and everything else. And they would go through the scales and everything. So we went through that twice. Both times we were able to continue on. But I was thinking about this because every time those people come to church, they're in danger of being arrested. And uh, I, in that country, over the years, I baptized people in the hotel room. I've, we've gone waiting in the river like we're swimming and baptize people we climbed up a mountain to get where nobody was on a mountain stream I, one time i baptized 17 people in mountain stream so we had to take precautions um but you might think that P, if you were in that situation that every time you came to church you could get arrested you could lose your job you could be fine you could go to jail wouldn't that be depressing and a lot of these are young men and women many are professionals with advanced degrees and they work in different careers so they're risking a lot but in that country, there's such a housing shortage that many of these young people are still living with their parents. Their parents are atheists or pagans or spirit worshipers. Some of them have little shrines in their home. They have pagan gods that they worship. And these young leaders, these are what we call pastors. There's one young lady, 30 years old. She was the overseer of 50 house churches in her city. Okay, but they're still living in this environment where they said, we can feel the evil spirits in our house. Now, how would you like, every time you go to church, you're in danger, but then you go home to have protection, you have to battle evil spirits. What kind of life is that? Would you be mad at God? So we conclude the whole seminar, they're asking me to pray, lay hands on every single person. And I'm curious, and of course they want protection, and, but here's their two prayer requests. Give us discernment so that we, we know who to talk to. Because anybody we talk to could turn us in. So give us wisdom and discernment so we know who to witness to. And the second thing is pray for power for miracles. Because we know we can't convert people in our country just by intellectual reasoning. 
we have to pray for them and they have to feel God's presence or they have to be sick and they get healed. Then they'll believe what we're saying. So we need miracles. So I was so amazed, Brother Harpool, instead of them saying, God, help us in our terrible situation. God, why are you so hard on us? They were saying, we're going to have worldwide revival and we're going to evangelize our nation. We need discernment and we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So pray that we'll have the spirit moving in miraculous ways. I thought, how could we possibly have that kind of, they're not superhuman people. I'm sure they have fears and doubts and so forth. But what I saw, God's grace is sufficient. So whatever you're going through, I'm pretty sure it's not any more difficult than some I've just mentioned. And I'm pretty sure the same God that's helping those people will help you. His grace will be sufficient. If you need healing, if you're struggling, maybe you're persecuted on your job, maybe you have unbelieving friends and family that are giving you a hard time, maybe you're going through a personal family or marital crisis, maybe financially you're struggling, whatever the case may be, God can meet you at your point of need because God is faithful to sustain and deliver. And if he'll move on the other side of the world, he'll move in Indiana. The faithful God is here. Let's stand together. The faithful God is here. Would you close your eyes with me right now? I will be very brief. And in just a moment, the musicians, the pastor, whatever you want to do, you just take over. But I do want to make an appeal. And I understand, uh, you know, the need for social distancing. So whatever you feel comfortable with. But there's some room here at the front or if you prefer to stay where you are, to kneel, to stand, whatever. But would, would everybody help me pray right now. Help, help me focus our faith on the needs of this, this moment. If there's somebody here today that you're, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, would you come up to the front and stand or kneel? Or if you prefer to stay where you are, but would you begin to repent? That simply means saying, God, forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. I want to receive what you have. I want a new life. I want a new beginning. If you've never done that before, that's what you should do. And I'm appealing you just in a moment, come right now and open your heart to God. Surrender your life. If you've already done that, but you've never been filled with God's spirit, with the initial sign of speaking in tongues, speaking miraculously in a language you never learned, I want you to know that's God's promise to you. It's also God's command to you for everyone to receive just like they did in the Bible. If you would like to receive the Holy Ghost, God's Spirit, I want you to come to the front and I want you to open your heart. If you've already repented, then you start worshiping God. You start praising Him vocally. You have to speak out. In a few minutes, your language will change and God will begin speaking through you. Is there someone that needs the Holy Ghost? A child, a young person, a new person? Just come to the front. If you feel led to invite someone to come pray with you. That's okay to say, would you like to come pray with me? And obviously, let's respect what everybody's comfortable with. But if you'd like to invite someone, do that. What if there's someone you need a personal renewing? I'm not saying you're backslidden. I'm just saying, you know, I need a fresh experience. I, re- I need a renewing. I need, I need something from God today. Why don't you come? Why don't you open your heart? Is there someone that needs a miracle? Do you need healing? Do you need answer to prayer? 
You can't wait till next week. You need something this week. Would you come? Would you respond to God? All across the building, I promise you in this building, if you'll respond to God, there are going to be some miracles in a few minutes. There is going to be outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Right now, church, let's call on the Lord. Right now, the faithful God is here. Would you pray? We've got time. You don't have to leave just yet. But why don't you call on God all across the building? Let's find a place to pray.